Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at PureMTGO.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor at Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 422nd episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Mason, and I'm going to introduce my co-host with our question, just like every week. This week, how do you like your steaks? I'm going to lead it off with our co-host, Abe. Abe, how do you like your steaks? I'm a medium rare guy. I think that's a pretty stock take for most people, but it's stock for a reason. It's just the best deck. Spencer Hallen, my other co-host, buddy, how do you like your steaks? Uh, so all of the best steak restaurants that you will ever go to do not actually ask you this question. So I have no real answer for this question. It is the way that the chef thinks that the steak is best prepared. Well done. I understand. Uh, there, just... If you, if you, they, they would literally not serve you the steak at this restaurants I'm talking about. Well, anyways, that is our host, and we're gonna be doing our pick to set review. That is our kind of way of doing a top 10 episode. So if you ever listen to a lot of the magic podcasts they do is they, you know, they compile a top eight, top 10 list. They kind of talk about it. And, you know, every time when you listen to these episodes, people go from like, yeah, number 10, number nine. These are cards that like maybe make it. They're kind of just cards I like, blah, blah, blah. So instead of doing that, we have four categories and we'll go over these four categories, which each cards are picked for those categories. It's going to be sleeper, hit, hopeful, and favorite. We'll talk about what all those mean when we get to those. But we do need to do a little uh, housekeeping before we hop into our main topic. Um, Spencer, you want to hop into the GG Lehigh? Yeah, uh, I actually got the chance to go to GG Lehigh this week for their one game that we didn't actually cover. We made a conscious decision. The Utah Magic community uh, is usually really popping every weekend. And we had a, actually a smaller than average RCQ and a smaller than average uh, 1K this weekend. And because we only had 16 players, which was four rounds, we elected not to do coverage. Mostly because, like, I didn't want our sponsor to have to pay us and stuff like that for the coverage. I was just like, you know, is is it really worth it for you to spend it a whole extra, however much it is? And um, the, he was like, hey, like, since you're missing this, like, if you guys ever want to do coverage for pre-releases in the future, like, I'd be down to have you. And I just thought that was a really good show of faith and compromise i just i really have been impressed with our relationship so far so when i recommend gg lehigh to people it, it is it comes from a place of like they're really endearing and i really just appreciate them and i wanted today's ad to be that like i cannot believe how lucky we are to work with jordan the owner um he has been nothing but nice and kind and forward and uh, I highly recommend checking them out if you're in the U.S. Um, they ship quickly. I've seen the way that they operate. Um, it, it is really impressive. Yeah, and then normally this is the part of the show where we do the Patreon shout to you join the uh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash UCMDG. You can support the show. We have no new patrons, but I do kind of have a bit of a message for patrons. And we um, want feedback from you about the show. And we really don't care if you 
if your feedback is negative. We want to like when I say we don't care, I mean we don't care. Like it's not going to hurt our feelings if you come with us with a constructive feedback that's like, hey, I think this is something that maybe I don't like about the show. Maybe this is something that you could work on. Blah 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 blah. blah. And also, you know, the things we like as well. We love to hear about both those things. Both are important for us for improving the show. Um, but we have gotten some feedback um, from a particular person that is incredibly uh, pointed and not helpful and just kind of mean. And that's really what we're not about with the show or anything like that. And uh, it's understandable that everyone's going to have someone that is their favorite on a show and they're going to have someone they don't like as much as someone else. That's just, you know, not everything's equal in life and that's fine. But you don't have to go out of your way to be mean and hurtful to people. And especially when it's like not constructive and it's not helpful. It'd be one thing if it was like, you know, you are doing X, which I think is causing this problem. Maybe that's something to work on. But saying just mean-spirited things and hurtful things isn't what we want, nor is it what we want for the community. So, well, with all that out of the way, once again, you can support us here by going to patreon.com. We would love constructive feedback. That is always great. Things you like, things you don't like. But, you know, no reason to be mean. I, I think uh, that we have gone a little too long without Abe wearing a hat. That's the feedback that I would like to give the show. It's getting it's getting cold soon. I promise. <laughs> as soon as it is below eighty degrees on a regular basis here, the beanie overturn. The beanies are returning. So I'm actually growing my hair out, and uh, Jordan, the owner at GG Lehigh, the, the, I was like, "Hey man, like he, his hair is like you know Jesus locks, right?" And I was like, "How how long does this last?" He's like, "Oh, you're about to enter your beanie phase." And I was like, "I don't know what that means." So. We might, I might join you. Can we get some sponsored beanies? Is that uh, Gigi Lehigh beanies or CC beanies? We can do both. But both, yeah. yeah. Let's do it. You gonna you gonna rock a beanie, Mason? Not a chance. I'm down again. Sometimes I'm Mason's, always... Mason's captain. He'll he'll rock a beanie if, if everyone else is rocking a beanie. Peer pressure, peer pressure. <laughs> but it is time to do our pick two set review. This is all about Dominar United, the newest set matches returning to its first ever home world it's gonna be really exciting there's a bunch of things to go over but let's start with our first topic this is sleeper so we have picked two cards each that we feel like these are gonna be cards that are gonna show up that aren't really getting talked about enough where we feel like this is like not a lot of narrative and it feels weird like wow like these seem like cards that we think are going to probably be role players and like that are just going under the radar so these are kind of our dark horse our sleeper picks and abe why don't you go first yeah so my first sleeper is uh, dragged to the bottom, uh, which is a card I feel like no one has really talked about, uh, despite having some real constructive applications. And it is two black black for a sorcery that has domain and says each creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn, where x is one plus the number of basic land types among lands you control. So in any deck where you're playing a single um, one of the triomes from uh, Sri's Nukpena, this is already at face going to be languish a good percentage of the time when you when you draw that land and that is such a step up um when you're playing any sort of mid-range strategy that has uh you know it's putting power into play uh you know trying to defend planeswalkers especially in black where they don't usually get such an efficient sweeper effect um i think it really is going to do a lot to define the landscape of things um in that this is a card decks have access to you know the, the kind of efficient answer when we're looking at a format now that's kind of leaving um which is defined of course by Jessica Hinata but the next tier of decks are 
a lot of decks that are putting a lot of power into play and being fairly resilient with it, um, this card, I think, is going to be able to clean up all the things that maybe some of the cheaper removal uh, that we'll talk about maybe a bit uh, that's going to be left in the format can't. Yeah, so I mean, with standard rotating Abe, right? So we're losing all of these old cards, Kaladesh, Strixhaven, Zendikar, gone, out of it, AFR, gone. Um, we're seeing, I think we're going to see a lot more kind of aggressive decks, like you mentioned. So I think a card like this is really interesting with those kind of implications, right? Because I think there are a lot of cards that are good, cheap, aggressive creatures. And there's a lot of creatures that seem to make another creature where, like, provide, like, spreading of value and body. So this card seems really good. But my main question for you on this card is, this card reads to me like it's uh, an 8 Triumph deck card. Like, you kind of, like, I feel like if I can't make this thing consistently 4 on turn 4, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. What do you feel about that? Do you think you're, like, pretty fine with this being a minus 3, minus 3? Obviously, I don't think we look through everything in the set, you know, even though we could, maybe you did, but you look through everything and see like, how do you feel about that statement? Like, so that's my big thought about this card is that like, this reads is a four color card. Yeah. I think um, the amount that if you're trying to support this card, if you're mana base, especially if you're one of the color combinations, that's going to have access to multiple sets of pain lands. Um, if you're going to be a mana base that can afford to play some like basically ETB tap to cycling lands that are the, uh, the, the off-color triomes. If you can afford some number of those, you can still play a three-color mid-range deck that's supporting these while still playing a large enough quantity of untapped lands to support your mana uh, with the pain lands. And so, while I do think that you... Uh, you know, it, it does matter a lot. You can't just play this off of just four triomes and consistently have it be four on turn four. I think that um, in a lot of matchups where... You know, it's not so essential. When it is essential, you can choose to, you know, maybe keep hands that are going to produce that domain. Um, but when it's not at two or three, you know, a lot of a lot of the decks that try to go wide, especially in slower matchups, uh, are really um, building themselves around creating two twos, uh, like lots of tokens with anthem effects or you know, fable of mirror breaker. So I think that this card will pretty reasonably trade efficiently, and if you can fit in some of these new enter the battlefield tapped dual lands or some of the old uh the the streets new kind of trilands that um are off color but like half your colors or whatever that you can you can support this pretty well one of the things that i'll say is like we're entering a really interesting world of mana bases where cards grab things that have a basic land type a lot as well as i actually when thinking about building decks i actually have been considering the game life um fetches that uh, are tri-land quote-unquote um, quite a bit and one of the reasons for that is that historically like tri-lands are fine as like tap lands and so while this one is way worse right you know it could really get you stuck on your color requirements it, alongside the actual cycle tri-lands and alongside you know the the right type of lands um I, I think i think that the one of the lands that i don't think is on our pick two is the doesn't doesn't the mana confluence actually name a type i believe it's thran's portal yeah um, and i think it does yeah so for uh listeners at home this card my answer is just editing here because I think it's maybe not portal, but the word like it. No, I think it's Thran it Portal. It is Thran Portal. 
Oh, so okay. it's, it's a you have land. It I do, yeah. I can I can just read it really quick. So that that card is it enters the battlefield unless uh, tapped unless you control two or fewer lands. So it's a fast land. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, you choose a land type. It is that chosen type in addition to its other types. So if you combine this with the tri lands with the 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 fetches, right? I, I actually think that four and five color mana bases with basics becomes easier. And between, I don't know if we have Field of or Field of Ruin still, but we will have uh, the red one, the the draw card. The what is the name of the card? Uh, red one, destroy a land, draw a card, and they search cleansing for, wildfire. Yeah, cleansing wildfire. And I do think that we'll get basic checked in this format if people get really greedy between, you know, trying to do domain stuff and. Trying to do this. With that being said, I think I think cleansing wildfire rotates. Is it cleansing wildfire that rotates? Yeah, that's in Zendikar Rising. Okay, I was wrong then. Thank you. Uh, either way, if you we have the ability to land check people, Besaidu does not rotate. Um, so having basic land types in your deck will be helpful. Um, I I think that this card of Abe's. Uh, does a lot of important things. One, it keeps decks like Mono Red and Gruel in check. As far as, like, from what I've seen of the this new standard set, those could be, like, level zero players, um, as well as possibly Mono White. So I, I really love this pick. I also think that, despite the, you know, my thought for the deck, I think that the fact that this, as long as you don't put waste in your deck, doesn't kill Niv-Mizzet Reborn is also huge. Yeah. I think that's very true. That's a good point. Abe, what's your other card? Oh, uh, yeah. My second sleeper kind of plays to the other side of this, and it's Baird, Argivian Recruiter, which is uh, red-white for a legendary creature, Human Soldier. Uh, it's a 2-2 that has, at the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power greater than its base power, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. I think that this card is actually, like a very, very strong contender for one of the better two drops with the other cards that the uh, red-white aggressive decks are going to want to be playing uh, coming out of, like, as they kind of transform into the next format. Um, Wedding Announcement is, you know, just one of the best cards in the format as far as raw efficiency and bang for your buck, and that naturally enables this by being an anthem after the third turn. Um... There's a lot of effects like Homestead Courage that will just put plus one, plus one counters on creatures you control. Um, there's uh, Hopeful Initiate, which has training, and then therefore, you know, that's your one drop. You play this after that has gotten a counter at all, and then now this is going to make a token every turn. And the ability for this card to be a persistent problem that requires answering while being multicolored and being a two drop, being really efficient on your curve, um, I think makes it fit well into... Uh, the red-white deck, which is currently kind of in the market for more two-drops as uh, some of the better two-drops out of Zendikar Rising are rotating out. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this one. I think that if you think about um, kind of like the modify-style decks, um, they'll just naturally want this card. And then also, like, because so many of the cards care about this type of stuff already, it just naturally will fit into the standard format. And I... Actually, uh, I think this card has other applications, um, depending on, you know, I, I think 
for very far in the future. It probably can't happen now, but like Stoneforge Mystic style decks in the future could care about this card. Yeah, this card's really interesting too with the Soldier Lord that uh, is in this set. Um, if you haven't, we're going to go over actually one of them here in my sleepers. I have one of the Lords, but basically there's a cycle of Lords for creature types. Soldier was this one. They were too scared to give us humans and Pioneer, probably rightfully so. But that card buffs this card, which then triggers it. So it's a nice little curve out situation. And I, I, I think that, you know, uh, this is like a very strong card. And honestly, the thing that's most interesting to me about this card is like, well, most interesting with the thing I think about with building is like, how am I going to play? Because it is a legendary creature that I kind of want to play on curve-ish. And so like, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see how many of this ends up being played, but I have no doubts that this card for a public C play. I mean, I, I would be shocked if over the cycle of this card's life, it didn't see some amount of play. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be starting it as like a two or three of in a lot of my, a lot of my Boros decks. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be hard for me to not want to play one if I'm looking for, for him in the slot, just because of how impactful it can be upon the game when it's, when it's working and how low that deck building cost is. Yep. Uh, my first sleeper is Jaya Fiery Negotiator. It's two red red for a legendary planeswalker with four starting loyalty. So it has a plus one that is create a one, one red monk creature token with prowess. It has a minus one. We exile the top two cards of your library, choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. Minus two, choose two creatures and opponent controls. Whenever you attack this turn, Jaya uh, will deal damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to those two targeted creatures. Then it has a minus eight that is you get an emblem with whenever you cast a red instant or, instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. You may choose new targets for that copy. So I'm a... Uh, really big believer in this card for a lot of formats i think in standard i think something like this card is definitely like strikes me as like a thing that we'll see play there's a body like it creates bodies that protect itself that work with its other abilities really well and i think the minus two kind of depends once again on the sizing of the format but if you did have like a soldier deck or like something that went kind of wide early like with apes cards and some things we mentioned you'd be pretty easy to kind of kill off your opponents you know three or four drops when you're attacking with this and then I think in Pioneer, there's some real conversation about this versus Chandra Torch Defiance, depending on the type of red deck you are. Like, maybe not red-black. Red-black mid-range, like the traditional one that plays Kalidus, might want this card. But I imagine red-black Sacrifice might be even more interested in this card, since it does go a little lower and can use the minus two a bit more effectively. But getting to look at two cards in those kind of mid-rangey decks um, to pick between your things versus, like, Shock versus Draw a card is a, a pretty real thing a lot of the time. So I, I think Jaya has a real chance to see play uh, in both of these formats. And this strikes me as one of the more powerful cards. And I feel like I haven't heard anyone talk about it. And the only thing I can figure is it's like one of the first cards we saw previewed. So I think this card just pla passes the Planeswalker test overall. It's got a plus ability that protects itself. It uh, has a card advantage ability. It has an ultimate that wins the game. It, you know, that's just a Planeswalker that ends up being good. It costs less than five mana, which means that it can make an impact in older formats. And honestly, like, you know, I think that if you are not playing specifically a Bloodthirsty Adversary and Pioneer in your Black Red decks, uh, which actually gets a lot of the benefit of Chandra's mana ability, I, I do think that this card could take up some of those slots. So. Yeah, I think that... I have two things. One is that the minus two ability does not target two creatures, Mason. 
choose it in a creature. I'm sorry, I, I must have misspoke when I said that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Choose, yeah, my bad. Sorry. So you kill a creature. Yeah, but that's still really potent. I think that the ability to have your planeswalker sit in play, and then your opponent can't cast a creature that is smaller than the number of creatures you control. If they're trying to like play, uh, this is something that happened in days of old. Your mono red deck would have you know a bunch of creatures in play, and your opponent would play like a siege rhino or something, and suddenly your opponent couldn't attack anymore because they would not not have a way through it. But this, you know, defaulting, you've made a couple tokens, you maybe have your other creatures, you're not getting held down by that anymore. Um, it's just a very strong ability. I do think that um, it's really difficult for Planeswalkers, because I, I just feel like a lot of the time they they kind of get judged by how much they do if they come down and do one ability and then leave. And I think that Jaya has a hard time passing that test. Um because you're wound, you wind up like being left with one prowess monk token a lot of the time if they just like untap the heroes down, follow your your planeswalker or something. But um, it's hard for me to count out a planeswalker that plays on curve with Chandra Dress to Kill and wants to play more and more red cards because Chandra Dress to Kill is one of the best cards uh, in red right now and is always looking for more friends. So uh, it'll be interesting. I, I definitely think this card has has chops. Yeah, Red also got Lightning Strike back in the set, which is a card that maybe if you're like from the COVID era of Magic, um, you kind of got on Arena, that's not a card you're used to seeing, but it's one red deal three damage to any target. Uh, and that card is actually very good in the early games and most standards. Um, it will kind of depend on the sizing of the format, but from everything I've seen, that answers most of the threes and into a large sum of the fours. So that might be a kind of like that, this, just to kill. You can kind of, you know, you have a lot of really good red cards just as like a starting place. And so it's going to be interesting to see. But enough about Jaya. She's great. Next we have, I'm going to do my best here, Rundvelt Horde Master. One in a red for a creature goblin warrior. It's a 1-1 one, one, and it has two abilities. The first is other goblins you control get plus one, plus one. So it's part of that Lord cycle we mentioned. And then this other ability is whenever this creature or another Goblin you control dies. Exile the top card of your library. If it's a goblin creature card, you may cast this card until the end of your next turn. If you're new to Magic and you're wondering why it says goblin creature card, there are cards in Modern that are instants and sorceries that have subtypes like goblin and fairy and stuff. So that's why that has that weird wording. When I first saw this, I was like, are we going to get a tribal card in this set? And we did it. But either way, uh, I like this card for a couple of reasons. One, I think in like a lot of the arena formats where Muxus is legal, this card's great. Um, I like just hands down probably going to see a lot of play in those decks. Um, I think in standard, this card's like probably not going to see a lot of fair uses. Um, it probably needs to be some sort of combo deck. But for things like Pioneer and Modern, I'm really excited for this card with Skirt Prospector. Um, and then for specifically Modern, uh, Sling Gang uh, Commander, or Sling Gang Lieutenant, it's the black one from MH1 where you can sack a goblin to drain somebody. That becomes drain somebody exile a card and now you can play that card and i think all that together you can probably create some sort of weird combo deck where you can sort of play a bunch of goblins assemble your thing and just kill someone out of nowhere while also just being a lord if you know your biggest ambitions are just to like attack them so i really like this card i don't think it's going to be like format warping a lot of places but i think if you're a goblins lover this card is really good and it was either this or the merfolk lord and i figured not many other people have talked about this card so didn't really fit sleepers. Yeah, I actually think that 
I would have put all of the lords and sleepers. While well, people have talked a little bit about some of the lords in this set, uh, I think people have gone from overrating lords to really underrating lords in Magic. Um, and all of the lords in the set seem pretty powerful. So, Yeah, I mean, I remember a time in Historic where the Goblins deck was like, yeah, I guess I have to play all these copies of like Wily Goblin because I'm a Skirk Prospector deck. And then... Wily Goblin was just the worst card by a long shot. And I think that this card, at the very least, is better than Wily Goblin. And that will give it an immediate Is that the uh, Treasure place. Goblin? Yeah. Hey, my homie Donald is going to be really upset that you're saying this for what it's worth. Good. He designs all the alchemy <laughs> cards right here. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Me and him got beef now. <laughs> I miss the old Donald. Back of the Wily Goblin Donald. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I Ants on his I... arms, Donald. Yeah, I, I wish that I could tell you exactly what to do with per, Skirt Prospector, this card, and stuff, but casting a lot of goblins, I think, is something that is potentially strong, and at worst, really awesome, really fun, and will be like a fringe player and something you'll see in leagues and stuff like that, and that's really cool, and I, you're going to put this on record. I'm a firm believer that goblins is very close to an actual deck in modern. I don't think it's there, but I think it is very close. I don't think this does it. But every day we get closer to the light of goblins what being if, a deck that I could bring to a tournament. What if I and told I you that them. historically that was true in the past, Mason? But in modern, but not since I've started playing. That's I just I didn't say. I I I, I believe that. No, I've 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 heard tales <coughs> yeah. of mental misstep printed goblins wins the first open. You know, I I, know <laughs> I, that, I do have I a know question this about this card. Like, Is this legacy playable? Be, that I don't know. I think but, it's not legacy playable on the unfortunate truth that goblin creature type cards are not legacy playable. But I do think that like the ability for you to have a ring like to have a card advantage card for when your goblins are dying is a unique effect that could like has room in the goblins decks in all formats. You know, I think that's a unique effect to goblins where they don't often do well when they get squished. They're kind of constantly snowballing for when they get. Screwed. If this was one mana, would you change your tune about goblin creature cards and legacy? I don't think if I goblin would. lackey I was free, would I? Yeah, of course. You can't just <laughs> knock the mana off the card, though. I, I'd be afraid still. Plague engineer is real, and it does hurt me as an elves player in legacy. It, it is all over the place in the sideboards. Uh, but, anyways, that's all mine. Spencer, what's your first sleeper? And my first sleeper is Protect the Negotiations. Uh, this card is uh, it is an instant for blue one. Uh, if this spell was kicked, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. That's kicker for a white. Counter target spell unless its controller pays one for each creature you control. So for me, this card uh, I've seen literally nobody talk about uh, on my Twitter at least and within the discords that I'm in and stuff. And I think this card does a really good job of scaling for the decks that care about it, as well as contributing to the game plans of those same decks. So to me, this card fits really well into a lot of different styles of decks. I can see this replacing some of the spells and spirits, for example, if you're playing like blue-white spirits or band spirits. Um, I, I think this this card seems pretty strong. Yeah, I think the, the ability is really unique, and um, it does kind of become like mana leak pretty easily in a lot of creature decks and then kind of you know lets itself turn into that for an extra mana which maybe you don't 
always want, but it's something you kind of get with the card. And I, I do think that like we're gonna see to be really interesting to see what happens to specifics spirits specifically in Pioneer now that we have uh Attacar Waste, which is the blue white pain land that's been added to the set, which by the way, when we do these episodes, assume that all the like the dual lands were just put into the hits. Those cards are going to hit. We just don't talk about them because they're not very exciting. But it is a really big role player for, you know, all the formats. Uh, specifically Pioneer, the mana for those kind of color combinations have not been as good. And I think Blue-White Spirit is actually very good and very close to being uh, a real deck. And so now having four more untapped dual lands is something that underappreciated by people who... I think haven't played Magic. I feel like even I was underappreciating this up until a year or two ago, where like untapped dual lands are really strong. Uh, so it's gonna be interesting how this plays out with that. I yeah, I also think a big strength of this card is that uh, not only is it like kind of a blue white card that plays well with you having a bunch of creatures, but it's a base blue card. So in all the spaces where it really wants to be applied, which are usually blue creature decks you can get the value out of the white kicker pretty easily when you're kind of, you're holding this up and maybe a spell queller or something like that. Um, you can still get that value if you don't have the white source or you can't have the white source. So it's able to just present a lot of depth of gameplay and, and be easily afforded into the decks that are going to want to play something like this. You know, people, I, forget, I think it's Unified Will is the one from Shadowmore that's like counter, yeah. Yeah. counter a spell your opponent controls. I think it's like Rise of Eldrazi, If right? you have more... Oh, yeah, I think it might be Rise. It, it's Rise. But, yes, yeah, that's the card. But, but, yeah, you counter their spell if you have more creatures than them. And this is kind of the same feel, except it has this added on kicker. And you can play it in all the same kinds of decks. So I think that, um, you know, that effect has has pedigree and, and uh, is going to be able to be enabled to its fullest in a lot of decks that want it. Yeah. One, one last thing, just from what you guys said. I, I do think, for what it's worth, that I was thinking of Spirits looking at this. But I actually, if you guys have been playing Arena recently, uh, the number of no new card decks that you play against on ladder, even in like Platinum and Diamond and stuff, is really high. You're like, what is happening? And uh, one of the cards that we had talked about a few sets ago was the blue-white 4-4 flying uh, when it hits you stuff. Um, and there's like this blue-white creature tempo deck that people are playing with that and this fits really well into that i don't know if that's actually a deck the 4-4 body seemed good um but i'd be really interested in it i want to talk about another white card next i want to talk about sarah paragon this card is a creature angel because you know obviously it's sarah uh it's white white two for a flying creature once during each of your turns you may play a land card from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana three or less from your graveyard if you do it gains when this permanent is put into your graveyard, exile it, and you gain two life. I have a lot of thoughts about this card. Um, one, I think that I was a big fan of like the theory of words that we talked about on the show a long time ago. Um, but for this, I think that this card does a really good job of filling the four-drop slot in aggressive decks alongside Wandering Emperor. And we, we have already talked about a bunch of white cards that are cheap, right? Uh, we've even talked about red cards that are cheap that this could be played along. And to me, that's pretty cool. It, when you think about it in the mid-range terms, a lot of aggressive mid-range decks historically had like maybe a six drop or two, maybe a five drop or two, but like four was where their sweet spot was. 
So you would actually maybe load a lot of spots here. And when you think about the mana bases that we already have talked about in the show, where there's a lot more tap lands entering the format, as long as I can hold off the aggressive decks in different ways, that's, this becomes a good mid-range card. Additionally, in the super aggressive decks, there's just a lot of gaps that are going to be need to be filled with four drops at rotation. And this card does a really good job of it. Um, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by this card, and I have actually seen not a single person talk about it. So There are a few things about this card that are really, uh, really important to take note of, I feel like. Because I think that, I know that I did, and I, I feel like a lot of people read this card, and like, oh, it's like Luris 2, but like a lot weaker, because it's not Luris. Um, you know, I can't keep on getting the same thing back, and uh, you know, it's more expensive, and uh, it kind of like feels like I have to wait a turn because I'm probably gonna want to cast something more expensive. We need more mana to use it. But a big thing about this card that I think is really important to take note of is that you can play lands from your graveyard with it as well, and they also gain the game life clause. So even you know, in standard, that means that like you were talking about before, those um. The, the crossroads from the um, from the Nuke Pena set, those are lands that now if you play a few of those, if you play something like Fable Passage and Pioneer and you play this card, you can immediately get a land back from your graveyard. It's now a ramp spell creature and it's gaining you a little bit of life to kind of like stop your losses in, in the mid game. If you just play it on turn five and don't have your fifth land drop, this will get you there. Um, and then also beyond that, if you're on like turn six or seven, if you have enough one or two mana, even three mana things that are worth deploying out of your graveyard, then suddenly this is, you know, a three, four flyer plus a regrowth with this additional value. So the card does a lot more than just, oh, I'm going to like get an extra thing every turn. Hopefully they don't kill it, which is kind of what I feel people think about this card initially. But the ability to get lands really makes it um, makes it a bit of a game changer to me because... Yeah, it means it, it it's a lot easier to get the immediate impact out of it. It doesn't ramp you for what's worth. You can't just play land as an additional land with the card. Um, but yes, but but I it agree. helps you hit that. Land yeah, though, I right? agree. It it verifies, especially in like those mid range style decks, like where Luris is like grinding back Mishers bobbles, right, or like making that mid range game plan really strong. That land effect does the same thing, where it, it lets you make sure that you're going to hit your land drops, and also like. Holy crap, like if I play the game life lands in standard and I already am gonna gain one from it entering the battlefield, now I'm gonna gain one plus two on its second run through, like that's pretty strong. Yeah, I think the lane thing salt I mean solves is a, a an aggressive word, but the ability that this card has to play lands fixes one of the main drawbacks, I think, with these kind of cards typically where they read as four drops, but they're not. They're four plus something if you want to get immediate value. And you can spend four mana on turn four, play this, and its body being, I think, a three, four, as I look at things, is pretty well stated to not die to most non-black or exiling-based removal spells. So things like red and green are going to have a harder time with Sarah. Uh, so you can probably do it against those decks. But they're really four plus whatever you're going to play, right? So being able to play the land, like you mentioned, we do have these uh, lands that are from Capenna where you can search up another land these go to the graveyard instantly so it gives you something to actually do on the turn when you play this card and even if it's just gained three life that sometimes really matters against certain matchups and actually lets you use this card versus you know just not using it and maybe you can discard things 
uh, like the extra lands that you have by not playing them that turn to your Fable of Mirror Breaker or something. And so I think this card has the real potential to be a strong top in. And I like also what's interesting about the aggressive mid range decks kind of wanting a five or a six or whatever, but four kind of being the sweet spot where this card is a four drop that plays like a five or a six drop. And so it does both things like that. And so, you know, this and the like, I think the Wandering Emperor is the card that in my mind is defining the format upon rotation. And it's kind of the bar to clear and like the, the most obvious signpost. And so having a card that kind of works well in those style of decks that can go longer thanks to the Emperor is really appealing. Um, that is going to do it for our sleepers of the set. Next, we have Hopeful. So these are cards that we are kind of hoping are going to have to show up in decks. And we hope kind of enable something cool and make something happen. But we're not really sure. And it feels like it's going to be a little bit of a stretch. Often cards in this thing would be the kind of stuff you expect to be a 10 or a 9 on another set review. And they're like, hey, if the stars align, we could see this happening. Uh, I'll go first with Urborg Lurgoyf. Uh, it's a one and a green for a creature Lurgoyf. It has star power and then star plus one toughness. And then star is determined equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard uh, for this. But it has an additional thing. You can cast it with kicker and you can play a blue and or a black. And when this enters the battlefield, mill three cards for each time it's kicked. So you can play this on turn two, just whatever as, you know, probably a zero one or whatever. But if you draw it in a later game, you can, you know, pay four mana for it. So one plus Sultai, green, black, red, or green, black, blue, sorry. And mill six cards and maybe grow it a little bit. Um, I think this card is really interesting in the context of Pioneer for those kind of Sultai dredgeless dredge decks. Uh, they've always been kind of an outlier, but two things they're really missing is cards that they can play early that help enable strategy and cards that kind of help them just beat down while they're still kind of doing their thing. And I think the Urberg Lurgoyf does that sort of thing, but having a deck that's super high on creatures typically like make these cards super strong is a little bit harder to achieve. But, you know, it does read powerfully. And if it works, like, you go Stitcher Supply or Mill 3 into this on turn 2 into, like, you know, Grizzly Salvage or something. You're looking at attacking for probably, like, a 3 or 4 power creature. And that's a lot of pressure in Pioneer. I want to be clear, because the first time I read this card, I was like, did they change the rules so that all kicker cards have multi-kicker for a hot second? And the and or is really important here. The most this card can cost is green, blue, black one. Uh, it doesn't, it's not like you just look like, if I have 13 blue mana, I can mill my deck. Um, but that being said, like, this scales really well. Like, we've all seen the power of something just like Stitcher Supplier, right? You just get a Stitcher Supplier for black. You just get, a, what's the, the blue instant that, let you mill three uh otherworldly gaze yeah whatever the 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 we actually had a really funny moment on coverage this last week this last event where we're like how often do you not mill all three like what do you have to look for other than land to not do it and i think that like the fact that this just gets really good spells tacked onto it i i think this card is honestly a multi-format all-star i Know that we're, I think we're in, we're in hopefuls, right? I already forgot. We are, yeah, okay. Now that we're in hopefuls, uh, I am hopeful that this doesn't break some formats quite often. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think one of the 
places that because this card also caught my eye anything that looks like tarmogoyf so much so is hard to not catch your eye the star star plus one two mana you know promises to be really big um but the the soul flayer decks in pioneer have always been kind of this fringe neat strategy where like you use soul flayer which gets the abilities of things from your graveyard and then you discard or mill your mill some copies of um uh, what is it, like Zatalpa, which has like a bunch of keyword abilities on it, or Chromanticore. Um, but also, kind of the power of that deck lies in the fact that it gets to be a Stubborn Denial deck and a Grizzly Salvage deck and have really good card selection and play pretty unfair with the Delve spells it has access to. And this card kind of adds a different angle for that game plan to attack from. Of now it's something that enables the milling. Um, while applying pressure on its on its plan A game plan and playing likely well with Stubborn Nile with the number of creatures that are in that deck, um, you're already want to be in these colors, and it means you don't have to commit. You're not only about winning with Soul Flare, which is often the problem with the Soul Flare deck. You don't find a Soul Flare, or they answer the one that you do find, and you're not going to really function. But enough cards like this um, can really change that dynamic to like, oh, I have uh, I have Soul Flare as kind of this backdoor powerful thing I can do but I'm more of a, a self-mill kind of creature deck in the first place. And so I think that this has has some real promise. I, I had not thought about Soulflare with this. I had thought about like Merfolk, uh, Secret Keeper, and uh, Prized Amalgam, and uh, other stuff. But that, that actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It is. Hopefully it does something. My other card is Haughty Jin. It's one blue blue for a creature Jin with star power and four toughness. And this creature's power is equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Instants and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. So it's kind of like Enigma Drake meets uh, Goblin Electromancer if we've been around for a while. Uh, a pretty interesting card. It, it strikes me as something that you kind of want to play in like a tempo-y probably mono blue maybe blue something deck um and it looks really cool and looks kind of fun to play with and i really liked the mono blue deck in standard with tempest gen and this card kind of harkens back to that when i look at it um and i i think that it you know it does have some strong things about it and so i'm gonna be curious to see if it can make any waves in pioneer or standard where standard it feels like the four toughness is pretty important so I, I just wonder if we're getting close to the blue-red spells deck that is a non-Phoenix deck because so many efficient creatures that are either spells or care about spells exist. You know, I, I think that at some point that deck is better than the Phoenix deck um, where it is no longer like a combo deck or a synergy-based deck, but is like actually just, I mean... That deck almost exists. That deck exists in Modern Legacy, right? In Merktide, right? So, like, how close is that to being a thing in Pioneer and Modern, where it's like, you know, whether it's I, I think uh, Delver of Secrets, for example, is not about to rotate. This card seems really good with that card, uh, for example. I, I don't know. Like, I, I I think we're getting pretty close. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about it as just like, oh yeah, this is Enigma Drake and Goblin Electromancer on the same card, which is wild to me that this is just a mono blue rare after saying that to myself, when those are like both, you know, kind of like staple effects of blue red at the uncommon level for most sets. 
So this card definitely seems like um, it has a lot of promise I haven't thought about before. Uh, and yeah, I think that even even in something like uh, you know looking at like Jeskai Hinata from the last standard format, this card does a lot of the same job as Hinata in enabling you to to kind of push a tempo advantage and be like, okay, I'm going to play this and be able to protect it because I have one man up. So I'm now playing a turn ahead of schedule despite my interaction being a little uh, a little more expensive. Without let, let me hit y'all with a little a little brewski. For Legend Shredder, for this, for Crackling Drake, a couple Casual Furies, the normal blue-red stuff, Galvanic Iteration, that's game. Hey, I'll see you in the leagues. I'll see you in the trenches. We're breathing that copium. I legitimately think that this Ledger Shredder, Ledger Shredder and Delver by itself is a creature base that could build a good Delver deck. And depending on where you land on Delver being standard playable, depending on the other creatures, might impact that for you. But the, like mono, Delver started as mono blue Delver. Like it wasn't it wasn't blue white or blue red or blue green to start. And I I'm I'm intrigued. You know what I'm intrigued by? You're hopeful, Spencer. Hit me. Uh oh my gosh. My first hopeful is a doozy and actually made me commit to making a commander deck. Not with this card, but with another card. Uh which I haven't done in I don't even know how long. We have Lith Rith Liberated Primeval. Uh, this is a legendary creature dragon. It is a remake of the uh, All Praise the Dragon Lord Brian Kibler uh, Pro Tour card, Worlds card. I actually now that I now I'm now I'm questioning when Armadillo Cloak you know was the forefront of Magic. Uh, either way, Rith is a flying five five with War Two. Other dragons you control have War Two. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature or planeswalker uh, an opponent controlled was dealt excess damage this turn, create a red 4-4 creature dragon with flying. Okay, so uh, I think there's some confusion with this card from what I've seen. People thought this meant trample damage, like excess going over and hitting somebody. That is not what it means. It just means that more than enough to kill... Uh, something uh now the opponent part doesn't matter in most in the constructive forms we're talking about right because like if they're dealt excess damage they died and st however that means that if you have large creatures that are dealing more damage than you, the other creatures uh you get a 4-4 and honestly there are formats where that will always happen depending on the matchup uh i am I'm actually hopeful that this card sees play in multiple formats. I am not, there's not been a Naya deck in something like Pioneer or Modern in a long time, but I, I we're getting kind of close between Nuka Pena and this to maybe seeing something happen. Um, it, it's, it, it shares a color with lots of the best cards in standard between Fable of the Mirror Breaker, between uh, the Wandering Emperor, between uh, the other enchantment, the uh, uh, wedding announcement or wedding invitation. Now I've got it wedding wrong. Announcement. Wedding announcement. I got it right the first time. Yeah. Um, additionally, there are Dragon Matters cards in this set. 
and also some other really strong dragons. Um, also, in Pioneer, there are a ton of really strong dragons. Uh, I, I don't know. This card, this is a hopeful for me. Yeah, I think it's pretty sick that you get to... Sometimes you just get to attack your opponent and they like chump block and you're like, all right, here's nine power in the air this turn. Go ahead. Um, uh, it's like, it's note, like way is... better Broodmate Dragon all of a sudden, right? You're like, what just happened to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely... Happened? Definitely puts Broodmate Dragon in perspective. Uh, just how long it's been since that card. But yeah, um, this card... It has a lot of potential. Something important to note that we kind of learned from Kaldheim about excess damage, where uh, Kaldheim had the giant stealing excess damage as one of their uh, their mechanics, is if you're playing with it and you do have a creature with Trample, and you, let's say that you have a 5-5 with Trample, and they block with a 4-4, if you deal them the one point of Trample damage, you don't actually deal excess damage to that creature. Um, and that's important to remember, because if you do want to get a dragon off of this, uh, and deal the excess damage, you have to be like, okay, I am specifically assigning all of my damage here. So if you were to curve like the what is it, Fleet Fleetfoot Dancer from Streets of New Capenna, the one and I am mana four four uh haste lifelink trample, if you attack them with that and they're like, all right, I'll chump block it this time with like my my two two, you have to put all the damage on that to get your token. So just more to remember about how this card works, but I do think it's it's really Cool and harkens to a really Naya playstyle uh, of like, yeah, I'm gonna play some big things, and eventually you're gonna have to to give way to my big things just being big. Really, you have to do all the excess damage. I think you only have to do one. You only have, you have to do one. one. In yeah. in the in the example of the of the five five and the four four, you'd have to deal them no damage. It, with the four four and the two two, you could deal them one damage. Yeah. To to the thing yes. that you just said, Abe, the historically one of the ways that you would try to beat Jundex, and I expect because of New Capenna and because of the power of the Jundex that we just saw out of the gates, that that will be a level zero starting point, right? One of the ways to do that is to be the more aggressive mid-range deck to go under them. And the historically, the way to do that is to play Naya. And this lets your Naya deck be like, no, like your Jund stuff and your like efficiency doesn't matter because I'm going to disrupt your efficiency with Ward. I'm going to put more power than you could possibly put into play. I'm going to have higher power and toughness and be faster than you. It, it really feeds into that, like, Naya versus Jun mentality. Yeah, it's a very interesting card. And having Ward 2 is pretty nice. And also, I think the way this is worded, you get to kind of attack and then play this main phase 2 and be like, surprise, I had a Rift make a dragon so pretty interesting especially in standard gonna be very excited to see what this card does what's your other card spencer yeah i uh this is the card the second i read it i was like this is gonna be my favorite card in the set and i'm gonna spend way too much time trying to make this work even if it's not good and that's joint exploration this card is one and a blue for an instant scry to then draw a card as kicker for a green though and if the spell is kicked you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, so one of the interesting things about something that standard is often missing, or actually Pioneer was missing for a long time uh, with with the the Cultivate not being in there for a while, is that it's actually a, really important for your three mana ramp spells to be 
card advantage as well, right? They need to be divinations. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you're, you're in trouble. The, the exception to that is probably Haro. Um, but I think I'm going to say something. I, I'm actually hoping this card is like one of the best ramp spells ever printed. Um, I, I, I think there's a world in which this is better than Gross Spiral. Um, I think that for the type of decks that I see playing this card, like rampy control decks, which is the type of ramp decks that I really like, this is a lot better than Gross Spiral. Um, the, the fact that it, you have flexibility whether or not you play the kicker, the fact that you just get instant speed preordained for two, just that's it. Like you just get instant speed preordained for two. Uh, that's just a good card. Like that. That's just a strong magic card. I, I'm I'm pretty hopeful that this sees play beyond standard into uh, pioneer, and I don't I don't think that it can do modern. Like I don't remember the last time that we saw a really strong cultivate deck, and I think that Amulet Titan has better options by a substantial margin than this card. I think even something like it it, it is possible that if like uh, Teamer Titan came back or really Teamer Scape Shift, this card could be better. I think that once again, if you think about um, kind of those bring to light decks, they're it's they're they're not playing cultivate. They would much rather play like a wood elves that fixes their mana, and fixing your mana becomes a lot more important rather than just getting the extra lands into play. But that doesn't mean there isn't a world which it could get all the way to modern. I just think it's more likely in like pioneer, and I think that it has a. I'm really hopeful that it's a standard all star. Yeah, I think. You know, this card has a bit of an uphill battle for standard because of the fact they're also printing impulse in the set. So if you're looking for a two-mana piece of card selection, uh, it's it's a pretty tough competition to be with one of the best of all time at, at two mana. But the upside this card has of being that growth spiral of getting you that land ahead when your hand's kind of land heavy, especially if you have tap lands that a slower controlling deck might want to play, um, is really really big. And so in any deck that I think is going to have the opportunity to kick it if you're playing green at all this immediately becomes a better consideration than that and i think that you know there's a lot of places where you know if we saw a band control deck uh in in pioneer it might want to play maybe it can't support growth spiral all the time but it could want to support kicking a joint exploration every now and again or splashing some other impactful green cards I, and that could that could bring this card in in there for sure i i actually that is exactly the thought that i had band control was one of like the first thoughts that i had in pioneer where, for what it's worth, I, I do I do think that green-blue is, like, really hard to hit on turn two consistently in a format like that, where you don't have perfect mana. And in standard, that's going to be even more true when you think about those slow lands you talked about. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know where I kind of land on this card. On st- and, but my first thought standard are that it matters a lot on what our fives are because one one of the things that was strong with gross spiral and thing that people always mention is like oh gross spiral is so broken blah 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 and it was like you're gross spiraling into strong fours and then cards like Nissa who shakes the world on five and getting that that sort of like boom boom curve was really strong and so if the format's slow enough where you, you can have that simulated with like 
going from three to five to six, you know, being a turn ahead, that matters, then this could be really strong where, like, you know, skipping ahead is good. Can I, um, can I actually talk about that? Because this is actually something that players who haven't played for a long time didn't realize, is that ramp decks were really prevalent for a couple of years, whether it was uh, Lana War Elves and um, uh, Birds of Paradise, whether it was Rampant Growth, whether it was Cultivate, and Sim Solemn Simulacrum. And the way that it worked is that you wanted the ramp spell that curved you, which is what Mason's talking about. And so understanding, like, its place in the format is dependent upon where cards sit. So, for example, Soltai, or four-color decks, four-color green decks that are blue, that play the uh, Wrath effect that uh, Abe talked about earlier. That's kind of where I was leaning with this card, and I think that was a really great point, Mason. Abe, what's your first card? Yeah, so my first hopeful is Telerian Tear, which is six and a blue for a 5-5 five, five Ward 2, and Telerian Tear costs one less to cast for each instant sorcery card in your graveyard. Now, you might be wondering why I'm hopeful for this card, and the answer is it actually goes all the way back to uh, PT Kyoto, where me and Kellen Pastor were working on standard decks in our Airbnb in Japan, and he brewed up what is the best deck that never saw more than three Moto Leagues called Hawaii Blue, which played a bunch of cycling cards, including cycling counter magic, uh, like countervailing winds. Um, Vile Manipulator, which is an 0-4 that gets bigger for all the cycling cards in your graveyard. And it played Cryptic Serpent, which is the blue in the Hawaii Blue. And that is a 6-5 for blue, blue, 5 that costs one less region to sorcery control. So I hope that somewhere out there, this card makes its way into Hawaii Blue 2, and I get to see the Serpents rise again. Because, like, all, all kidding aside, um, a deck that would able, be able to play this, kind of like um, a deck that would play uh, Mason's Gin, being able to play a huge density of instant sorceries, um, finding ways to get them into the graveyard, kind of controlling the game such that a single threat, like a 5-5 five, five, that has a little bit of protection to it, um, can come down. This is like kind of close to Gurmag Angler in that way, uh, with the exception that you can't cheat it with like fetch lands, but something that's really, really efficient if you're playing the right kind of deck um, and lends itself to doing some really, really uh, cool things. It would be it would be nostalgic for me to see it happen. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that one. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard people talk about this card in um, Modern some, where they had, like, I remember getting asked like, oh, yo, what if this was like Murktide number five or like it has Ward, blah, blah, blah. And besides the parts where Murktide has flying, which is pretty big, I, I do think that people, it is hard to have that many instant sorceries to make this cheap enough for that format consistently in the early game. And while you would prefer your Murktide to be bigger, there are matchups where you just go like Murktide on three as like a four, four, and you just need to get something going. And this card doesn't do that. But for the smaller formats, it's really interesting. Uh, and I'm <laughs> curious to see how it plays out. And just kind of how does an interacting because you know, like I mentioned, like there seems to be a critical. They're trying to like push us towards a critical mass of like a few creatures, and then having a bunch of instant sorceries. What do you do, you know? And uh, this card, you know, does have like a large body that's hard to interact with. You know, War Two is a lot. So that's my thoughts on that. I'll be trying this card in Popper. 
Yeah, I think I think that that could also be a good place for it. Um, I'm just I, I might talk to Kellen and see if I can throw together a Hawaii blue deck for a Pioneer League or two. Um, but anyway, the other card I'm hopeful for in this set is Shadow Prophecy, which is two and a black for an instant uh, that has domain. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of basic land types among lands you control. Put two of them, up to two of them, uh, into your hand and the rest into your graveyard, and you lose two life. So this card is incredibly efficient at what it does, uh, which is being cheap card selection and card advantage. Um, three mana is a really, really low price for this kind of effect in any amount of like two or three color deck. Like at, at three mana, instant speed, draw two, lose two is like an okay rate. It's pretty, it's pretty good because it's an instant. Um, but the second you start looking at multiple cards, filling your graveyard a bit, um, you know, the second you're even looking at three cards, it's really good. At four cards, it's like, that's a card you would play, you know, like Read the Bones is a sorcery that was one of its best in class all time, three mana draw twos um, that sees that many cards. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a card that, you know, while it's not Memory Deluge, it gives options to non-blue mid-range decks or non-blue controlling decks to have card advantage that can filter into the, the mid-lake game while still leaving its mana up and being able to play a little bit of defense and find the room to do that. So I hope that I hope this card is able to see play. I really like when there's um you know kind of in line with my with my first card of the of the episode. I really like when there's mid-rangey controlling decks that are not not necessarily traditional and maybe you're playing lots of colors of mana. Um, you know, trying to hit this domain and, and incentivize to uh, to get the reward off cards like this. I didn't realize that we were making painful truths better. Like I just think look look at five grab two is a substantially better card at instant speed than at sorcery, especially since you only have to take the two life. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, I, not am I? Uh, this this card actually was almost on my hopefuls. I'm. I, th I think that this will, I think that this card will see play in uh, things like, I. Uh, it's so funny, I've been like such a hater on the Niv deck for so long, there's actually a lot of really good domain cards um, that help that deck in this set, and also I, I think that the ability to do this at instant speed in decks that maybe you're playing like even something as simple as like Esper or uh, Grixis or like that, that's actually a huge deal that it plays alongside your, you know, really bad cancels, right? Where like you, you get, you can squeeze them, right? Where you are like, oh, well now you have to cancel me. Now you have to cancel me. But like at some point it's like, all right, well I get to leave up both. Uh, and it's a benefit to me. And I actually think that's a huge deal. Yeah. I'm also curious to try this in cards. Oh, I'm sorry, in Dex and Pioneer, like, we saw um, a Grixis Phoenix deck uh, from Daryl Errors a couple months ago in Pioneer. Something like this where you can, you know, binning the cards is really important. So, like, you know, this with, like, the Serpent and the Djinn that we talked about here, really strong. So I'm curious to see what it can do something like that. Uh, you know, bringing it back to Dredgeless Dredge always. Creeping Chill, what a card to hit off this. Now you're up a life on the exchange. Hello! A Abe's like, wow, what a great idea. Never heard that one before. Um, but yeah, 
I don't know. This card's cool. I, I think everything that's said on standard is true. Um, this seems like a card that's going to be really interesting to see play. And I'm really curious to see, like, there seems to be a four to five color black domain deck. I, there's a lot of, like, good cards with domain in the set, like Spencer mentioned, but a lot of the, like, card advantage controlling ones are the black ones in the set. And you obviously get to splash all of them, but there seems to be, like, maybe being base black with other things, which is kind of cool. So normally blacks, like, play more black. So I like this card. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see a four-color green-black-blue deck as, like, a domain deck. Like, I just think that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, should we go on to favorites? Yeah, so next up is favorites. So these are just cards that we like and we want to talk about. Often this happens in set reviews. Someone just mentions the card they like. So these are our cards. We're going to tell you why they're our favorites. So they might be because they are strong. It might be because they do something cool. It might be because of the design. It might be because of a joke. Spencer, you're first up. What is your first favorite? Yeah. Um, I, I think that the basic land metagame is a really interesting game to play in Magic. Um, you know, whether it's betas, whether it's just, you know, the foils that you like or whatever. And for me, when I saw the, the Nyx lands, the Nyx basics, I actually sold all my Zendikar basics. I was OG Zendikar. I really loved them. Um, and immediately bought all Nyxlands. Um, however, this set has two lands that are really speak to me. I don't know that it'll change out all my Nyxlands, but the one that is definitely getting changed out is the mountain. Um, I think that the mountain is gorgeous. I The other one that I really like is the island for what it's worth, but I I just really love like it's this combination of I really love playing Pokemon TCG. It's like one of my favorite games, and people jokingly compare those to Energy, but I actually it really appeals to me. And these are combining the things that I love about the elegance of full art lands, in addition to the things that I loved about you know the Energy thing, the thing that appealed to me, uh, and that mountain is like just gorgeous. So. Awesome. What's your other favorite? Wow. Just Dunn doesn't even let a... I would say one thing. Which <laughs> is that because this is an audio podcast and we're talking about a full art land, can you describe in a little more detail what the land is? Oh my gosh, dude. Yes, I can. And also, oh <laughs> for what it's worth, I've tried to... I, I'll actually say this for the listeners. I've actually tried to do this a couple of times. Like, I, I was a huge fan of like... I think it was Hour of Devastation was one. But I, I really love it when they i think it's a huge part of magic to do this um to allow people to express themselves through their basics is like pretty huge um i mean just a second because i actually don't have mythic spoiler up which is where i was looking at them it's stained glass i yeah i already said that though i mean you're gonna go into exquisite detail oh, yeah, about I, the frightening? I, I definitely am um, I, I think that the ability to like express yourself is really important. And one of the things that these lands combine is the ability, like um, the, they have this stained glass look that I really loved from um, the previous Dominaria set, by the way, which is like a callback to that, where we had like uh, history of Benalia and like all of those stained glass cards. And then additionally, like just this really beautiful color scheme 
Um, if you've taken like design classes, you understand like polarizing uh, or complementary colors. And I actually think that the the this blue, black, red of the mountain and the yellow, the yellow, uh, green, blue of the island look really cool. So it's just a big energy symbol on a stained glass thing surrounded by an image that is also um, what what the thing is, right? So like a plains, an island, or a, a mountain. I, I just really like it. Yeah, I think it's also uh, like specifically the story locations in Dominaria. Like I think it's the mountains of Shiv and the forests of Yavamaya. I did and, like, not the plains even notice of Benalia, that. And I think it's the Isle of... That's so uh, cool. Of, of Teleria. Uh, you might yeah, have, it's you really might sick. Have... You might have actually convinced me to go all out and just switch all of them for what it's worth. And, and the funny thing is, every time I do this, it's like, it, you know I mean, it's twenty times a dollar, right? It's like a hundred. It's uh, it's a hundred bucks every time I do it. But I, I actually, but it's I, important. It no, it is, and I, I actually really no, like I agree them. with you. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Mason, thank you for struggling through that. I really appreciate it. Um, because it is it is my favorite card in the set. So, uh, with that being said, um, Elder Dragon War is my second favorite card. This card, the second I read it, I have to know, I have not done my playables uh, doc that I'm going to give to the patrons, guys. Is is there a cycle of read-ahead cards? Yes, there's all a bunch of sagas in the set. All, yeah. all of the sagas have, have read-ahead. Okay. Yeah, they all have read-ahead. Okay. So, read ahead for those who don't know is choose a chapter, start with that many lore counters, add one after your draw step, skip chapters, don't trigger, sacrifice after three. So it, you can start anywhere you want on your saga. This card, the El the Elder Dragon War, is red red two. Uh, chapter one is deal two damage to each creature and each opponent. Uh, chapter two is discard any number of cards, then draw that many. And chapter three is create a 4-4 dragon with flying. Um, this is the most Spencer card ever. This card gets to be a sweeper. It gets to be against aggressive decks. It gets to be a threat against... Uh, an immediate threat against control decks. It gets to be filtering. I, I, I love this card. Um, I also think that the design of... Read Ahead is really an elegant change to Sagas. Um, really impressed, and I really like it. It's funny. This is a card that almost made my list as a hopeful. Um, just because I think that, like, it's a super sweet addition of more red, slow burn kind of cards that are good and standard, in addition to Fable the Mirror Breaker. Although I do think it's funny that, much like Fable the Mirror Breaker, it's like, all right, do a thing that's immediately impactful in a little bit, and then rummage a bunch of cards, which is just the only thing that Red does in the middle of their sagas now nowadays. But um, yeah, I think that I think it's a really sweet one. I think that uh, especially with the way that this has read ahead, um, you kind of all of the decisions of where you're going to put it have a big trade off uh, because like discarding a bunch of cards and then drawing more cards gets better if you take a draw step with it. Um, you know, dealing two might might or might not be what you want uh, in that moment. And, like, you know, if you get the dragon immediately, you're... you're just, you know, so it's a really cool card. I, I agree. Like, I actually think that what you just said is exactly why I thought it was so elegant. There are times where I'm like, oh, man, I really just need a 4-4 to block with. Or 
oh my gosh, I just need to deal two damage, or oh my gosh, I wish I could discard these three lands in my hand for anything else. I, I think this card is beautiful. Yeah, I, I really like this card. I mean, once again, it's Felrate is a 4-4 four, four dragon with flying, right? Like, it just is a 4-4 four, for four, four, 4. Uh, and then, you know, like, having a one-sided Pyroclasm is pretty real, even at 4 mana. So I, I really like this card. It also does some weird things where, like, it you can, like, skip to Chapter 2 to, like, set up reanimate cards, and there's, like, a bunch of reanimate stuff in this set. So, like, that might be a thing that maybe we don't have this stuff for right now, but could be something that, like, plays a bigger role. So, I, I really like this card. It's really sick. Uh, Abe, what's your first favorite? Yeah, so my first favorite is Urtai's Scorn, which is one blue-blue for a counter-target spell at instant speed. It's your Mopey Cancel, but has an additional line of text, which says this spell costs blue less to cast if an opponent casts two or more spells this turn. So this card is boldly going where no Mopey Cancel has gone before and said, no, no, no. If your opponent is trying to overload your cancels and make it so it's too expensive to use them, you're getting some mana back. And I think that's really actually powerful to, to be able to like do multiple things or punish your opponent for trying to do too many things in a turn, especially as... Uh, you know, often the way that control X lose ground uh, is to your opponent just being able to play multiple efficient uh, efficient cards in the same turn and kind of having to pick which one you're going to spend your answer on or, uh, you know, not having enough to interact. But this solves a lot of those problems, and I really, I really like what it's doing and the direction that they're willing to take cancel to have it, uh, have it be able to be able to make contend in uh in magic right now so i'm i'm it's one of my favorites here yeah i just want to say that like i'm glad this made the list i i think that the elegance of solving a problem with cancel is addressed really well here so i i'm i'm a huge fan and i'm glad it made a favorite yeah i i i i like this card a lot and i think one thing that gets uh forgotten about this card is that like if your opponent casts two more spells this turn, it doesn't mean, like, I think people think, like, oh, use this in a counter war and you win the counter war, which, like, maybe it does happen because of the mana. Or, like, you know, they try to do something and then you get to cheaply answer with this, then cast, you know, the domain draw card, the painful truce we talked about a second ago, our friend named the shadowy one that you mentioned. Like, it just, you know, makes it so much like Ledger Shredder playing multiple spells is uh, a thing you need to be, like, hyper aware of. And so, yeah, I like this card a lot. I think it's cool. What's your other favorite? Yeah, my other favorite card is Sulkanar the Tainted, which is two blue, black, red for a legendary creature elemental demon that is a 5 5, and it has at the beginning of your end step, choose one that hasn't been chosen. Draw a card. Each opponent loses two life, and you gain two life. Sulkanar the Tainted deals three damage up to one other target creature or planeswalker. And exile Solkanar and then return it to the battlefield under an opponent's control. I love how this card is kind of like it's tied in design to the like tainted pack, which is one of the coolest cards I think to play with. Um that that was in Magic Origins, which is saying a lot because that was a great set. Uh, I think it has a lot of really cool tension and getting to play it. Like I would it would be awesome if this card actually wound up being 
something that you played one or two of in like your standard deck, or even if you ever just draft this card or have it in your sealed deck, and then you're playing a few more unsummons to be able to get like, you get all the abilities, then it goes to your opponent and you're like, all right, I'll unsummon that back to my hand and then play it again. Um, and your opponent like the whole time has been kind of like not dealing with it because they know they'll get their turn, but then you take their turn for them. I think cards like this are really, really awesome and fun to play with. And it makes me wish it were good enough to play in standard, but it's likely if you ever tap five mana for this and then it does nothing, it's pretty bad. Uh, or it only does one thing, it's pretty bad. Um, and you, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get a lot out of it. But it is definitely a sweet card and I like it a lot. So Yeah, I wish you could almost pick two so that you could play it in like uh the Yorion Elementals deck in modern as like a one of target for uh, a home earth call but i think that at one choice per end step it is not enough um you know thinking about like you know the, the fact that that deck already gets to play uh the cavern of souls so that it already gets the black mana for this as well as you know the fact that risen reef is you know lets this just be an elemental it's also great for pitching uh, it's interesting, but I, I think that it is not. The one per turn is not quite enough. And even though you would get to do it a lot of times because of things like Ephemerate and stuff, it, it's not enough. Ephemerate. Yeah, yeah I, I think this card is super cool. I'm super glad we can talk about it. One thing that's interesting is, I believe this was on the preview stream, and you know, obviously they're trying to build hype a little bit, but they had some of the play design people on it, and they are like, yeah, we had to make it worse because we were killing people too quickly with it. Like, it was just like, at some point, this card was messed up. And so, you know, it's pretty easy to have something messed up early on in design or whatever. You know, you just kind of, like, want to make something cool. But it does have me hopeful that maybe there'll be something that you can do with this. And like like these guys mentioned, being able to, you know, return this and or some way to flicker it, right, uh, is really cool. So maybe there'll be, like, a cool historic deck that, like, I think Ephemerate's in historic. Uh, no one can prove me wrong. No one knows what's in the format, but uh, you know, like that's a really cool idea. Spencer had there, just like whoosh, use the mode you want to use, get it back, run it back again. You know, maybe even just reflicker it so it's like, yeah, deal three damage, then flicker it. You know, on the rebound, do it again. So there's already cool. there's already an Esper Yorion deck that's like a pack deck, right? Like it's already a thing. So, yeah, we can do more of that. Exactly. And this looks a five five. Five five attacks. Yeah, yeah it's got four. It's got three things to do before it leaves, and and another three called attacking for five. <laughs> so, you know, it it bops them. I definitely think that like in the because there's like the Grixis mid range deck that was mostly actually cards that are not uh, that are not rotating, um, like with like the Corpse Appraisers and and Blood Tithe Harvesters and stuff. I could see this being like that deck was already a little aggressively slanted with how it was using its creatures. Um, a card like this being able to to have a home in my in my copium den, den Grixis deck. But nice. Well, my first favorite is Academy Lore Master. It's blue blue for a creature human wizard two three, and has at the beginning of each player's draw step, that player may draw an additional card. If they do, spells they cast this turn cost two more to cast. I think this card is just so cool. And it's really interesting to me because it's like, okay, so maybe I don't want to play this on my main deck, whatever, but maybe I want to sideboard this for a matchup where there's like 
card advantage really matters and they're going to side out a bunch of removal. And it's like, all right, well, if like I bring this in against a creature deck and they want to draw that extra card and get that advantage, you know, maybe if I play it later in the game, that's good for them. But early, that can be really bad. And maybe all my cards are at instant speed. You know, I have like just a really reactive deck. And so now I'm not having the downside of the two more costs and their deck wasn't built with that in mind. But it has a really cool tension of like, oh, maybe that will actually get them out of this game. I need to kill this before they can draw two cards, you know? So I, I really like this card. I'm almost positive. This card either is super messed up with some weird deck or sees no play. But it is so cool and I want to play it a bunch. I want to play with a bunch of instants and kill spells and stuff like that. And, you know, ooh, I'll draw my card. Yeah, my spells cost two more. Oh, no. And, you know, and then pass the turn to them. So I don't know. Would you all have any thoughts on this card? I just think it's really cool. I think this card is exactly what you said. It's like the, the I think this card is the difference between Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering. And I think that's cool. I think this card reminds me a lot of, what is it, Moderation from Modern Horizons 2, which is the one blue-white enchantment, which says, you're, you're rule of law, but every time you cast a spell, you draw a card. In the way that, like, it looks, it's obviously, like, a bunch of things that are good, right? If you're taking advantage of it, it's good. And you can kind of try to build your deck asymmetrically so that it's better for you than your opponent. But doing that presents such a cool set of puzzles that also... It doesn't. It's hard to tell what the best outcomes are. That it's definitely a really, really cool card in the set. Uh, my other card is Threats Undetected. So this is two in a green for a sorcery. Search your library for up to four creature cards with different powers and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those cards. You shuffle the chosen cards into your library and put the rest into your hand. So you know you pick four different cards with different power. Your opponent gives you two and puts two back in the deck. It is like a Gifts Ungiven uh, variant, and it's really cool. I, I don't know anything too broken with it. Like, in Modern, you can do stuff like grab Shardless Agent, Risen Reef, Solitude, Omnath, and, like, you know, it's like, oh, well, okay, if I give you Shardless Agent like, your Glimpse deck, whatever, maybe that's a problem. But there's a lot of really cool things you can do with this card. There's, like, Kiki-Jiki setups where, like, all of them get you a combo kill as well. They're all kind of slower for that format, but that's okay. Like, that's kind of cool and exciting to me. And, you know, there's also weird setups with, like, Eternal Witness, Wall of Blossom stuff that we've seen Aspiring Spike been playing a lot with his Bant deck. And they have Clutter Company in that deck, but the deck only has, like, 15 Clutter Company hits. Because it's kind of like, oh, I kind of just want to make sure I get something. So this card being, like, you know, Sorcery Speed, so worse than Clutter Company, but being a mana less, but always getting you two cards is something that is kind of appealing about this. You know, if you have Soul Herder, solitude eternal witness and something those are like three bare bones good cards to have you know and then you can generate some other thing with the last spot so i think this card's really cool i don't have anything too broken to do with it but i just really like it you'll get batman superman spider-man and thor Ooh, thor is the same power as batman nice try no he's got the hammer batman strong since you have anything you want to say, that means rich. What? <laughs> the rich are strong. Spencer, you're good. Awesome. Well, let's move on to hits. These are cards that we think definitely will be showing up once again, like in a traditional sort of list. This would be like your number one, your number two, that sort of thing. Abe, start us off. Yeah, so my first hit is Urtai Resurrected, which is two blue black for a three two. Uh, with Flash. Uh, it's a legendary creature, but it, it also it has, when it enters the battlefield, choose up to one. 
counter target spell activate ability or triggered ability its controller draws a card or counter or destroy another target creature or planeswalker its controller draws a card this card is like if you're an aggressively slanted deck or a tempo slanted deck is the mystic snake of your dreams because it will not only counter the problems on the stack but it will answer the problems you've already had to let slip through the cracks while you were developing uh, the rest of your game plan and at that point your game plan is going to revolve around trying to deny your opponent time to use their cards uh, as opposed to you know winning on a, on a game of attrition so giving them a card for that effect and that flexibility doesn't matter all that much uh, and it just double threats with so many of the most important cards in standard and instant speed so like things like the wandering emperor you know we saw obscura initiate see some standard play for a while in uh, the Esper mid-range decks, I think this card is like at least two times better than that in a lot of spots because it always answers a card. If there's a specific card that you just can't beat if it resolves, it actually counters it. So it goes to Graveyard Death to have another copy and they can't just recast the same one they had. Um, and it answers problems that are already in play, which is one of the biggest things I've found uh, previously with the Esper decks, and especially with some amount of the really powerful removal that's cheap rotating. Um, is that being able to answer something that's already resolved a problem permanent is kind of tough for for some of the decks. And so this card does all of that. It's really efficiently costed. 3-2 body adds a good amount of pressure to the opponent if you're uh, you know, cleaning things up or keeping the game clear and then uh, deploying things behind it. I think this card is, is like an absolute real deal card. So I don't know what you guys think about it. Yeah, I, I think this card's really interesting. Um, it is cool how its mana cost is a lot less restrictive than things like Mystic Snake or whatever, but it has a bit of a drawback on it with the opponent, you know, always getting to draw a card when you answer their thing. But the fact that I think it answers things like activating triggered abilities has some real implications. Um, and I, I think this card is strong. It didn't strike me as the strongest card in the set, but I do think it is a card that we'll see play. Like, if this had been one of your sleepers, I would have been, like, 100% so true. But as a hit, I, I had not thought about this card in all those ways. I don't think that that's wrong. It's just me more of me, like, you know, processing it right now. Spencer, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm just really proud this card is legendary. Otherwise, it'd be super annoying. I think, I think that that is specifically a power hit to the card because of how good it is. So we'll see a lot more two ofs of this card or three ofs of this card than just a natural four of in any type of like mid-rangey Esper deck, which once again we're talking about level zero decks, like that that deck did not lose uh most of its good cards. So um obviously like you know I think that the 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 flyer that you mentioned, you know, was it was just a two of uh for a long time in that deck, Abe. And this card easily replaces that. It's just a better version almost all the time. So. Yeah, and I think especially in the Esper deck, the dynamic that I was thinking about when I put this card down is that there's a lot of times where on turn four, you're just leaving up the Wandering Emperor and you're just casting it because whatever your opponent does is probably about as good as it or it's not going to be too bad for you to cast the Wandering Emperor, but... There are a lot of punishes, something like the Wandering Emperor, where your opponent might just decide not to attack and expose themselves to it and might leave back creatures and then deploy, you know, a Planeswalker. And 
it's pretty difficult to answer something like that without then having to push through a lot of material, which turns the game into a slog. And this answers that problem really well by being a good, like, a good card to complete the pincer of the Wandering River. So I think it'll be it'll be pretty good. And the fact it's only two colors, and especially being able to be played in Grixis or in uh, in Esper gives it a, a lot of legs. Uh, my other hit is Leyline Binding, which is five and a white for an enchantment with flash uh, that has, whenever, when it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Leyline Binding leaves the battlefield. But it also has a cost reduction for domain. So it costs one less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. I think this card changes the way that enigmatic incarnation in pioneer is able to function and that deck will very very quickly go from like the value engines that you didn't need to contend all kind of moping together to a deck that has a way to do something powerful proactively um to solve its problems like the the deck has had a long period of time where uh like most of what it's doing and accomplishing is just kind of like getting ahead a card or two here and there. You know, it's going toe to toe with the decks that are trying to play the biggest resource games possible by going even bigger by using Enigmatic Incarnation as an engine. Um, but Leyline Binding, meaning that you can go get Agent of Treachery, you could go get Coma, you can go get any seven drop that's in Pioneer um, on a mana base that already wants to play a heavy dosage of Trilands. To, uh, to make its mana work. It was already playing things like Chain of the Rocks, so it has a high mountain count. This is just more of that that enables uh, not only for it to stay alive in the early game like it needs to um, and has trouble doing because it doesn't really start being powerful until turn four, but it also allows it to like just close the door quickly by getting something inc- like really, really powerful and then taking over the game that way. So I think this card is going to be something that will start to uh, maybe not see play in modern because it's hard to contend with the efficiency of the removal there, but certainly I think will be a defining card in Pioneer where the Trilands are some of the most powerful things that are in the format. I I was about to yeah you guys you guys Spencer I was actually going to say that I actually think that this card does have a home in modern. I have been doing coverage for modern events and Tribal Zoo has actually looked really strong recently. In, on coverage from what I've watched of like its matchup spread versus some of the better decks. And I actually think this is a really good cyborg card in that deck. It's able to get to this card costing one mana really early. And the way when you want this card to cost one mana for that deck is actually around turn three anyway. I I actually think this is a really good cyborg pickup for that deck. I also think that between standard and other formats, we're getting pretty close to like enchantress domain stuff uh and this is insane it's like i'm able to fix my mana really easily with enchantments able to make my lands other land types able to play different stuff like i i think this card has long-term multi-format implications that people read it and they're like oh well like it's not good tell turn x or y and it's like okay but like depending on the deck you're playing that actually might not matter like if i get this card to two mana how good is it 
If they get this card to one mana, how good is it? And what turns does it matter? And that's the lens that I think this card needs to be viewed through. I'm pretty sure this is the best or second best card in the set. Not close. And I'm pretty positive this is a four of in four color control. Like in modern, like the Omnath deck. You just go fetch one of the Triomes and then fetch a basic and it's two mana on turn two. Um, the biggest problem with this sort of line I'm suggesting right now is that you can't, all your Triomes are blue, so you can't also hold up Counterspell in this world, um, which is, like, pretty strong with this card. But there are a lot of things that actually play really well in the four-color decks with this card. For example, like, you play a lot of Supreme Verdict right now, um, and that's to answer some, like, a bunch of creature decks or whatever. So, like, answer your creature, and then having to Fairy 3 and play, and unsummoning this on a turn, and then casting Verdict is, like, a pretty strong line. And some of the ways that the four-color deck actually loses is to these non-creature problematic cards or these things that try to outscale our removal. Uh, so, like, part of the reason why the Amulet matchup is tough but not unwinnable is that we can beat the Titans and we can beat the Colossuses, but sometimes the big body and, like, the chaining of them is a big problem. And the chaining part we're not fixing with this, but answering the card is actually so huge. The difference between dress-downing a Titan and solituding it is huge, so having this in the deck... While maybe not replacing dress down, uh, I think is actually very, very big. And I don't I won't go on too much about four color here, but I've gotten a lot of messages about this card. And I'm definitely starting with one to two of this in my deck. And I would not be surprised if there are weekends where I'm just four leyline bindings. It's like so good, it's exactly what you want, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I'm a really big believer on this card. And it, I was gonna put it on my hit, so I already saw it was taken. So I was like, also we can talk about it there later. But yeah, I, everything that we've said so far, I echo. I agree totally with the domain. I big agree with the Enchantress. That was actually something I was thinking about as well. Spencer, when I saw this, I was like, it's like the tenth enchantment, like enchantment card we've gotten that's like really good recently. Um, so yeah, I really like this card. I'm a big, big believer. If I can say conversely about what you're saying about it in modern, one of the biggest flaws I see with it in modern, even though I think that it could be really useful and applicable, is that. I think that Besaju's stock rises a ton when it's already kind of high in the format. Mm -hmm. And playing this as, a, as an answer is something that would expose you in a lot of spots. Can I the matchup for this best is Merktide. Can I actually challenge that really quickly, though? Because I actually think that if we look at recent challenge results and the recent deck lists, a lot of people have actually been cutting down on Besaju. So I think it's a tug and pull, right? So, for example, the, the list that I recommended for Merktide in our our patreon uh discord was actually played two blood moons instead of a one one split with uh with magus of the moon because so few decks were playing multiple besages at this point and now to your point abe like that that just becomes a metagame thing right where the stock goes up and down but it's a tug and pull it's not one to one yeah, definitely. I do think in things like the Amulet matchup, it's pretty one-to-one, -one, because they'll just always play the Besaju. But, yeah, I, I just worry about, especially for a deck like that, which really just wants to take every single one-for-one -one exchange it can, and then pull ahead with its later exchanges, um, that it opens up a vulnerability more than it solves a new problem. But It does open a vulnerability, um, and I've been, like, the only person who plays March of Otherworldly Light and promotes a bunch with E-Witness, and part of that is E-Witness plus that is something that lets you answer a bunch of problematic things. But this card lets you answer a problematic thing that's a, like of various types pretty easily. And I think 
specifically the card Murktide is a big problem for this deck, and Murktide players are getting better and better and better at playing Counterspell plus Murktide games. And so upping the amount of cards we have that matter in that matchup, I think, is actually really big, especially when it's applicable in things like the Mirror 2. Like, it answers Emrakul, it answers Omnath. Uh, I, I think this card is very good. I Maybe it won't end up being a 4 but I would be shocked if this isn't a card that people think about often as a one. Yeah, or two I can see it in, in the in the rotating door of March and uh, and prismatic yeah. endings for sure. For for yeah, what and then holy heats and stuff. For what it's worth, I, I just kind of my last thoughts on this whole conversation is for the four color decks. The first thing that I thought of when I saw this card with that deck is man, is the Mercury player? I'm really upset that they got another thing that a thing that can kill Murktide past what unholy heat does because that was one of the key ways that you would win the matchup is and like force them into like these supreme verdict situations is that they then didn't have a removal spell for it now they do and it's like well that kind of sucks yeah you binding one the murktide goes away you unsummon the binding it comes back as a three three you bolt it nice stack gone <laughs> what's your other card uh a Oh, that, was, that was your second card. My bad. Sorry, sorry. Spencer, what was your first card? So this card was almost a sleeper for me. Uh, this is Sh Shivan Devastator. Um, and I... Listen, um, if you listen to this podcast for a long time, you know I'm a sucker for a fireball. Like, I love fireball effects a lot. I actually this card is standard all-star level good. Um, so this card is one red and X for a Dragon Hydra. It's Flying Haste. Uh, it enters the battlefield with X11 counters on it. Um, I have so many thoughts on this card. Uh, the more that I read this card and think about this card, the better it is in my head. Um, so the the five mana four four whatever or five five dragon in standard has literally never not been playable. Um, the fact that this one also scales across the board. I think is insane. I, I actually, I thought about this card today and like, typically you would see a card like this printed at like green red X. And the fact that it's red X, I think is a pretty huge deal. It kind of made me think about Mason's card while Mason was talking, the blue, blue one, uh, uh, Dijin or, or Jin. And I honestly think that like, this scaling five mana dragger dragon does so much at uh, filling in curves in different spots, um, being reoccurring damage in certain matchups, being a dragon that could become really relevant. I I think this card could actually say play beyond standard. Um, just as like you think about different dragon decks and how much dragon cards have mattered in things like, you know, historic or, or whatever pioneer I, I i think this card has the ability to be good the the bigger the formats get the worse it gets right but also the bigger the formats get the be it's like a it's almost like an extended card if that makes sense to people that is scales really well and is probably going to be a standard all-star you know it's really funny after last week's episode where i proposed the inverse theory of words thought that uh, reading this card too yeah my friend evan who listens to the show he sent me a message and was like so i i just listened to the episode and i was thinking about the inverse theory of words he sends me a picture of this card and it's like is this the best card in the new set and 
you know, I think that the flexibility of being able to cast a spell whenever you want it to is really, really powerful. And while this isn't like the flexibility is the power of the card, and so kind of unlike previous uh, iterations of the five mana four four flying haste dragon, uh, it's kind of a little more nebulous how good that is. It's hard for it to be bad, and also uh, in a world where there's a bunch of modified creature things going on, this automatically being a modified creature you can play just about anywhere on a, on the curve can always pressure a planeswalker um, if they don't have a flying creature. Uh, and always use all of your mana and be a good top deck. Uh, it just has a lot of flexibility to to do those things if if the right kind of deck presents it. So I think it definitely has has a huge chance. So shout out to the inverse theory of words. Yeah, I, I do think it's really interesting. Um, like in standard, I think hate like Spencer mentioned, haste flying really strong together scales really well, and I think one thing. That if you did mention it, I'm so sorry I zoned out. I'm quitting sugar today. I'm I'm doing day one. It's hard, but um, you can play it earlier and like that's obviously not what we signed up for. But like if you have nothing else to do and your opponent, let's say I don't know, they played a Liliana the Veil and they take down and killed your thing. Playing this for two, like X is two and killing it, that matters. Or even even in that example, X is one and holding up another interaction spell. Where like you know it's turn four and this happened, right? Like out. Well, the thing Magic players always do, right, is we talk about cards only on curve, but games don't happen only on curve. That's stupid. Games happen in random ways. That's why Magic's fun. So, like, you know, like Spencer mentioned, playing this on turn five for four, strong. But playing this, you know, for two on turn five and then holding up your counter spell, or, like, you know, your Solmgar Scorn and Pioneer, for example, like you mentioned the dragon cards, that's actually kind of strong and, like, helps you set this up. And then it's not legendary. I think when I first read this card, I thought it was legendary, which doesn't matter so much, but super matters when you get to that late game and you start top decking these and you're like five ball, six ball, you die. You know, like that stuff does matter. So I, I, I kind of like this card. It's I, also got sick art. I, yeah, it's it's really cool. I, I actually, I think between Solengar Scorn and Dragon, uh, this card is not good with Dragon uh, Dragonfire, but I think the fact that those two cards exist is helpful. So, uh, yeah. my last card is cut down. When the, uh, I, I'm gonna read it, and I don't know how long this conversation will be about this. I was disappointed in the magic community about this card. Uh, this card's one block. It's an instant historic target creature with total combined power and toughness five or less. Uh, I was shocked uh, by the magic communities. I was like lowish on this card, but holy crap, people! <laughs> Uh, your expectations for a one-mana removal spell in Standard are way too high. Uh, I think that this card, people love to talk about the X or Y positions it was bad in, but I think it does a ton of what Standard decks need. And pretty often, I, I think, while it doesn't always, it's not always going to trade for a three-mana creature, it will almost always trade for a two-mana creature. And uh, I, I think this card's quite good. Um... I actually was thinking about the blue-black Delver as we were talking because of Abe's card and Mason's card. With this card, uh, this is a really good one-mana spell to have in your Delver deck. Um, as flyers, typically the things that are going to block and prevent your Delver from attacking are going to have low power and toughness. I I, I think this card is going to be really good in the standard. I think it will see play in Pioneer. 
I don't think it goes into modern just because the one mana removal spells are so good there. But th this, we got to calm down. Not everything needs to be modern playable, fam. Like, we can be excited about cards in other formats. It is interesting. And I think, uh, well, first off, I want to say, love the design on this card. One of my favorite designs in this set. So sick. And it makes me just like want to just nag everyone that's like magic's dying. They're running out of ideas. Such a sick removal spell idea. Awesome. Love it. Back to the real game. It is interesting because I think this card really, if it's good, dictates what's playable in the format to the point where it pushes itself out, which is a really cool thing we see in standard where like, it's like, well, why isn't this card good? And it's like, oh, well, it was, but it got to the point where it's so oppressive. We're not allowed to do things like that, except as like one off meta call weekend things. And I haven't looked at the power toughness combination, but just as a random example, right? Like I pulled up uh, all of my cards when I was talking here. About half of them die that are creatures to this card right away. And that they they range in mana cost. They're, they're all pretty cheap, relatively speaking. But if you're trading up even one or two mana, that's so big. Um, and I, I think it's be really interesting to see how this card plays out. And having, you know, a fifth and sixth fatal push is something that a lot of decks want. Like Strangle is fine and it has places in Pioneer, but there are gonna be a lot of times where you want this card over Strangle, a lot of times you want Strangle over this card. I think that's really cool, and those sort of week-to-week -week figuring things out sort of thing is awesome. So I, I really like this card, and it it's obviously strong. You're going to see a lot of play, in my opinion, um, especially if the format allows for it. You know, there, there are some things like if Grease Fang's really good in standard, right? Like, this card's really bad. But if, you know... Uh, I mean, the card that comes to mind... Card. The card mm -hmm. comes to mind for me immediately as this card being the perfect kind of answer to is Rafine. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how Rafine yes. is so good and so hard to kill because it's a four toughness creature with Ward One. What is the best thing at killing a one four with Ward One other than a one mana removal spell that kills anything with the combined five power five power toughness? I I actually thought of uh, two creatures. Rafine was one of them. The other three drop that I thought of was the two three Mason's Hasty Giver. Uh, I thought of that one, yeah. Reckless Stormseeker. Yeah, Reckless Stormseeker. Another reason Reckless Stormseeker won't be a hit because they're keeping it down. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, Mason, did you did you pay attention to standard this season? Because Reckless Stormseeker is a hit, man. It's like a four of in like the second best deck. It wasn't the new Tarmogoyf. That's my standard for <laughs> okay. it this season. <laughs> anyway, what was the other thing that you thought of? Eve? The other one is Brutal Cathar, which is one of the like probably best cards in the mono white deck of just being like an efficient uh an efficient answer and, and not having especially when the games are so much about the board and about combat being able to answer cards like that on the cheap with something like cut down is really good and i think that this is a card that maybe not to the extent that this tends to happen where like uh you know like when path exile came out everyone compared it to swords plowshares and was like this isn't even close to as good you give them a whole land what is this but like, cut down doesn't have to be fatal push to be good. You know, for it to be a playable card that winds up being a card you play in multiple formats, it doesn't have to be fatal push. Fatal push is fatal push. And, you know, while this has a lot of things that, like, Disfigure could also kill, has a lot of things Disfigure couldn't kill that it does kill, and uh, I think will have a, a really, really big impact on Standard and probably, you know, show up in, in brief splashes of one or two of just because of the fact it does something unique. Um, in answering creatures that 
you know, Fatal Push can't easily kill, but still need to be answered for the cheap and still die to this. So it's it's definitely a really, really sweet one. I think it's one that we're going to be seeing for a long time coming, even if it's not the next coming of, of Swords to Flashers. Yep. All right, so my first hit, I've noticed something. I've had a lot of white cards recently. And the trend's continuing here. So my first card's Anointed Peacekeeper. It's two and a white for a human cleric, 3-3, three, three, with Vigilance. As Anointed Peacekeeper enters the battlefield, look at your opponent's hand, then choose any card name. So it doesn't have to be in their hand, but you get to see their hand before choosing. Spells your opponent cast with the chosen name cost two more to cast. Activate abilities, the source, the chosen name, cost two more to activate unless they're mana abilities. So your land or elves are safe. This card draws direct comparison to Elite Spellbinder, which was a very strong card. We've seen it have impact in lots of different formats, you know, even in Legacy, thanks to the fact that Elite Spellbinder exiled a card from my hand. That really mattered. Um, and Anointed Peacekeeper, while not having that exact synergy, does have some things that Elite Spellbinder doesn't. In specific, with future copies and excess copies of cards costing two more. So, you know, for example, let's say your opponent had two Adelines in hand or, you know, some non-legendary creature, and they don't have a really way to answer this, the next one's going to cost that as well. So that might change their play, and that might be their normal best play, you know, where it might increase the cost of a card like um, Cut Down, right, and to make it so it's going to be actually really hard to kill your thing. So this is really good. And then the, I think the ability to choose, the ability to turn off activated abilities and make them cost two more um, is really strong, especially ones that are already gatekept gate kept by mana. So I think this card's uh, quite good. I, it isn't clear to me if it's better than Elite Spellbinder or whatever. I think it's just a different version of that, and that's fine. And now Human Stacks and Pioneer have access to both of those things, or either or. I think that's really cool, and I'm excited to see what this card does. But it strikes me as a, a potent answer to problems that white decks sometimes have. This card seems so freaking good against... Uh the um, Wandering Emperor compared to Elite Spellbinder for what it's worth. Holy crap. Like, if, if I Elite Spellbinder you, and you have two Wandering Emperors, and you have you uh, you have untapped mana, right? In this one, you have, you're forced into playing it, right? Even if you have two, and then, like, you still have to activate it before I pick a card, like, while it's on the stack, and then I get to decide if I want to even take it. I, I and if you're tapped out, like, those those Wandering Emperors are just way, way worse. And for the sake of standard, it has Vigilance too, right? So, like, right. let's yes. say you didn't have the Wandering Emperor and I named some other big card. I named the Angel, the Sarah's Emissary yeah. you mentioned, Spencer. Then you draw the thing, I attack with this, and you're like, I guess I can make a Samurai so next turn I can block. You know, like, not broken and Sano, I don't think, but very strong. I mean, like, this card, I think, is, could see some real play. I, I'm curious to hear what you say, Abe. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about it as Elite Spellbinder um, in the same way you did. I kind of, like, didn't actually think much of this card. But now that I'm thinking about it in the way that you're describing it, drawing that analogy, I think that, especially what you're saying about it having Vigilance, the fact it's asymmetrical so that your copies of the cards are are untouched, um, with a lot of good three drops like Spellbinder, like Skyclad Apparition rotating out of standard. And there's a lot of room for a card like this to shine. And uh, it's just a really versatile effect to be able to tack someone, not only on the spells they draw, like you could just name 
you know, whatever sweeper they need, they know they may have casted or whatever their top end finisher is, and they need more lands to do that. But also like starting to impose attacks on, oh, you want to use your planeswalker that's in play? You want to draw some cards or like use your Liliana or whatever it is, you want to edict me, that's gonna cost you. You can't actually just do that for free anymore, which really substantially uh reduces the effectiveness of planeswalkers. Part of the reason they're so good is because you get to do more things for free every turn. If it was do more things for mana every turn, those are just like sorcerer, like those are those are just enchantments. You know, those those are just things you have in play that you can pay mana to get effects. The freeness of it uh is, is a big aspect. And so I think this card, especially with planeswalkers, if there's a lot of them that are very good, uh is going to be a huge player in stopping that for the white decks. Yeah, I, I had actually one thing I forgot is we are we've had this gluttony of three drops in white that are just good and utility creatures and be down all that stuff. And this one being two in a white uh actually makes this more splashable than those things too, which I hadn't thought about. Obviously the spellbinder, which is the comparison, that was two in a white as well. But with domain, you know, might be a need for something like this, especially there's some sort of combo deck, you know, like Pioneer, name Storm of the Festivals, it's much harder to actually store, right? Or you name Karn, you know, now suddenly it's like playing the Karn and activating the Karn is very, very hard to do. Like, I keep double-checking the card. Like, it doesn't say just creatures, right? Like, it can be anything. And making that harder is a lot of very appealing to me. Anyway, that's enough on it that card. It also passes the cut-down test. I just realized. Yeah, it does. It does pass the cut-down test. Hold on. I actually have one. I just want to really quickly, Maybe. just to really hammer this point home, we have Chandra dressed to kill, Liliana as three-mana planeswalker. So on the play, this card gets to stop those. Uh, we have uh, tons of good four-mana planeswalkers in standard. Uh, we have Sorin. Uh, we have Wandering Emperor. And we have the new Jaya. Like, there are actually a ton of playable standard Planeswalkers that actually, on curve, this card really disrupts. I actually think it's very purposeful that it does that. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning one thing that, uh, like, Magic Twitter always says is like, oh, they just added a mana, this card wouldn't have been broken, right? And that is true. There are a lot of cards that are broken. If you add a mana, it fixes a lot of the problems. This card does that for a specific card just for casting it. So, like, think about all the implications of, like, Magnum Opus or Hinata or anything like that where just costing two more is the world, especially if the body can't be easily answered. Like we've mentioned before, Lightning Strike is in the format. Looks like four toughness is probably going to be a breaking point for a lot of things, but still really important, even if it is just naming Lightning Strike, right, and just making it so much harder to use your answer spells to kill things. That's gonna be pretty important. So, like that card a lot. I hope it sees play. I could definitely see this being my uh, the haste creature from last year. But three threes with vigilance are the wave. Be gone, three threes with haste. Twenty twenty one is gone. Twenty twenty two is in. Vigilance is the new haste. That's right. And then my other card, my other hit, the last one of the set review today is temporary lockdown. It's one white white for an enchantment. When temporary lockdown enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until this card leaves the battlefield. Um, I think this card is quite strong in older formats. It might, I definitely can see it being strong in standard. Typically, standard decks do go to three, four, and even five mana, even for aggressive decks. You know, we mentioned them having like a four drop. Like I imagine a lot of mono-white aggro decks will play four wandering at first. So this card doesn't answer everything. But in Pioneer and in modern specifically, this card like 
if I were to play against, let's say, Abraham Stein, he's shaking in his boots of this cards in my deck. You know, his hand's shaking. He's like, two or less? All my hammer cards are two or less, though. You know, and he cries. And I, I think that, that sort of stuff is pretty important. And it's, it like, is just a good answer for a card like Urza Saga specifically, which is what I'm going to draw it to, where, you know, making the tokens are sometimes hard to answer. The thing it gets can be sometimes a problem. This just moves all those off the table. Uh, and while it isn't that could be answered, um, it does remove everything there and it's applicable in multiple matchups where maybe a card like Stony Silence is something you would maybe want to remove a lot of things from the board or whatever. But then, you know, there's a lot of burn, blah, blah, blah. This card answers all those things. And so I really like this card. Um, and I think it's going to see like a lot of one of play in a lot of formats and a lot of different times where you have to pick your spot. But it's going to be very potent in the spots where it's good. I really love cards that are going to be really good in standard, but then become like really cool niche sideboard cards in older formats. I think this card is 100% to see play in Magic the Gathering. It's weird this card lines up pretty well against Amulet Town for what it's worth, if you're a controlling deck, because removing the Amulets actually matters in the construct or how they normally try to squeeze you. But Abe, do you have any thoughts as a Hammer player? I that, that's the thing are... I see with this card, is people say this is the Hammer Hate card. So Yeah, I think that um, there's already a lot of cards out there that are the Hammer Hate card, and in general, like, you know, th this is just like a force where you can play without being a green deck. You know, if you get like Zagarda's aid or like a couple tokens or you remove the hammer from play or like it, it, it's just a good catch all. But I, I do fear that it being a sorcery speed thing and being a little fragile means it's not going to be quite as good as people think it is. I think also that the drawback of not being able to play your own uh, good online permanence with mana value two or less is a bit uh, a bit painful for a lot of decks. But I do think that there's just a lot of places where this has huge applications where um, you know, Cat Oven decks or Oni Cult Anvil decks that the, like the Sacrifice decks in Pioneer uh, or Explore in those formats. This is a great answer to those because those permanents are often the difficult things to answer and especially in multiples. Um, there's, just, there's a lot of places where this card does a lot of things because so many decks are drawn towards playing a bunch of cheap, efficient things and a lot of other decks are like they're polarized against that, right? And so in the deck that are polarized against that, trying to stop people doing small things, this card is aces. And um, well, I think it's harder to be that way in modern because so many of those things are good um, and have this be your best option. There are definitely decks like that where, you know, in like blue-white control, you can just play some copies of this and then your hammer matchup that was already like 80 plus percent, it feels like gets that 85th percentile. Awesome. Makes sense. That's going to do it for our pick two set review. Dominar United is looking super awesome. By the time you're in this, it's probably already out on Arena and early releases on Moto. Crazy stuff here. But this set's really cool. Really excited to play with it. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Normally, we do a Patreon question, which you can, you know, one of the benefits of supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash ccmtg. But this episode's going a little long. So we're going to cut off this week. But if someone wanted to find us, they could go over... I'm sorry, cut there. We do. Someone wants to find other shows in the network, though, they can go check out Common Knowledge of the Pop Podcast. They're going to be having their set review. I imagine some of the cards we talk about today are going to overlap over there, like Abe's Big Serpent. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see what they have to say about it. And then we do have Drafting Archetypes, Sam Black, 
Sam's limited review where he kind of goes over things before they're even uh, been played with yet, kind of giving an early impression, often quite good and a really interesting learning point to see, okay, we had these thoughts. Why did this play? Why did this not play out this way? Where, oh, this is why this happened and it did play out that way. A great way to learn. Check out those two podcasts as well on the network. If you want to support the show, it's always going to be free, but you can like, subscribe, and review and comment everywhere. That's a great way to help us, and it's a great free way to help us. And if you enjoy the show, share it with your friends. If someone wants to find you, Spencer, where can they go? You can find me at Spencer Uh It's my personal Twitter where I talk about Smash, Magic the Gathering, uh, and stuff like that. You can also find me on the Need to Nerd podcast and the Smash 3 podcast, as well as here on Constructive Criticism, the YouTube channel, where I do coverage for the you know game grid events and uh deck decks and stuff so yeah hey what about you you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings and you can uh, as always dm for increase about coaching for hammer time or really any deck i'm uh always looking to help people improve you can find me each every week here. You can find me over at Card Kingdom, where I write articles for them. They're going to have five deck lists. We're going to have some standards, some Pioneer this week with brand new cards. So if you're looking for something to play, maybe in a league or get a little arena on, make sure to check that out. You can find me over at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Uh, the time you're hearing this, it's already happened, but I'll be doing the streamer event. So there might be a VOD up so you can watch some standard action from that, which is going to be pretty exciting. And then you can also find me for coaching. You can reach out via my email at uh, masonclark at gmail.com or my Twitter at masonclark with an underscore. While this was recorded, someone who was banned for the same thing I was has messaged me and they were unbanned and has sent me the process. So we'll see if I get my account back on Twitter. We're going to maybe catch up to Derek a little quicker. Bigger number, better person, gang. Thank you all so much for listening to this mammoth of an episode. We hope you all have a lot of fun with Dominic Knight, and we'll see you all next week for another episode of CCMTG.